0: Hey, it's Jason Mark. We're just a few weeks away from Chicago's municipal elections when city residents will vote for mayor and members of the city council. In almost every poll, the top concern for Chicagoans right now is crime and policing. One of the reasons former Mayor Rahm Emanuel didn't run for a third term is the fallout over the police shooting of Laquan McDonald. Four years ago, current Mayor Lori Lightfoot won the mayor's race in part because of her past experience As a former prosecutor, she satisfied the tough-on-crime folks, and as former president of the Chicago Police Board and chair of the Police Accountability Task Force, she excited those seeking police and criminal justice reform. But in May of 2020, protests and looting broke out in the wake of George Floyd's murder at the hands of police in Minneapolis. And the mayor's response to the actions of some members of the Chicago Police Department during that unrest caught the attention of many, including WBEZ reporter Patrick Smith. And this particular
1: incident happened at the Brickyard Mall on the northwest side. And there's actually video. In it you can see a large group of officers swarming a little red car in the mall's parking lot, breaking out the windows with batons, dragging people out of the car and throwing them to the ground. We should say there's some dispute over what led up to the moments captured on camera. Officers say they were responding to looting at the mall and the vehicle was suspicious. The five people in the car say they were just there to shop. Anyway, the video is hard to watch. It's chaotic. It's upsetting. One woman says officers pulled her out of the car by her hair, says they called her a savage. Then, and this really stands out in the video, one of the police officers kneels on her neck. You know, the exact thing that killed George Floyd. So this got a lot of attention in Chicago. Mayor Lori Lightfoot was asked about it a few days later, and she kind of dodged the question. She deferred to COPA, the Civilian Office of Police Accountability. They handle investigations of police misconduct, and we'll talk about them later. But here's what the mayor said.
0: I don't want to get ahead, and, and I'm not the head of COPA. I'm the mayor, and I want COPA to be doing its job, <clears throat> but doing it independently. Um, they have to call balls and strikes on that. Of course, I have my own personal opinion about it, but I'm not going to do share it because I don't want to influence uh, what COPA's work is. And
1: that's especially interesting because... That's not always the way Lightfoot's been sounding when it comes to police misconduct. This is her in a different press conference, also in early June.
0: We will not tolerate excessive force. We will not
1: tolerate... She says an officer who flipped off protesters lost his right to be a Chicago cop.
0: ...that demean the badge.
1: She condemns officers who cover their badges, which which activists say is a way that officers are trying to avoid responsibility if they do anything wrong at the protest.
0: We will not tolerate that.
1: She just has some very harsh words for police officers who break departmental rules. the
0: Chicago Police Department. If you are one of those officers, we will find you, we will identify you, and we will strip you of your police powers, period. We are not going to tolerate this in our city. So we heard some different tones there from the mayor. On the one hand, she's distancing herself and saying there's a process. It's not up to her. In that second clip, it sounds like she's going to personally ensure that there are consequences for cops who break the rules. So with that contrast in tone in mind, Curious City listener Jason Ray Jenkins wanted to know,
2: what can the mayor do about it when police officers engage in what many of us would see as misconduct?
0: In other words, how accountable is any Chicago mayor for police misconduct? When a disturbing event like the one we just heard happens, does the mayor actually have the power to make sure the accountability process works fairly and that there are consequences for officers who break the rules? While all this was going on in the fall of 2020, producer Jesse Dukes spoke with WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith to help us understand how the whole police accountability system works. And that's next.
1: In order to understand the mayor's role in police accountability, you got to understand the police accountability system as a whole. Now, there's an effort in Chicago to change how this works, but here's where it stands now. So when there's a complaint against an officer, that triggers an investigation. And that investigation is carried out by the Civilian Office of Police Accountability, or COPA. You heard Lightfoot mention them earlier. COPA is an independent agency. They're not part of the police department. They do a full investigation, which can take months or even years. And if they find that the officer violated policy, they make a recommendation. And that's basically where their power stops. I spoke to Sharon Fairley. She actually used to run COPA. Here's what she says. All they can do is recommend what the findings should be and then recommend what the punishment should be. They don't have the ultimate say in that.
2: Who does get the final say?
1: Well, at this point in the process, the police superintendent weighs in. And if they disagree with COPA, the two agencies kind of go back and forth. But either way, the case eventually goes before the police board. That's who gets the final say. It's another independent civilian agency and they make the final call. But let's say a case goes through this whole process and it looks like the officer violated policy and is gonna get punished somehow. They're still the police union. They can come in and challenge any discipline in court.
2: Okay, that's a lot of steps. Uh, so let me make sure I have this right. The complaint is filed against an officer. COPA does an investigation. They make a recommendation for discipline. The police superintendent also makes a recommendation. And then the case goes to the police board, and they decide what to do.
1: Yeah, that's right. There are a lot of players involved. It gets confusing. It's so simple. <laughs> it's, it gets confusing. I mean, I cover this stuff all the time, and I have to go back— Frequently to look at the ordinance that created COPA to make sure I have it right about who's supposed to do what. So, so yeah, it's very confusing, but Fairly says this system exists the way it does for a reason.
0: The, the whole point of these creating these separate and independent entities is that they are supposed to be operating independently from the police
1: department and from the city administration. That is the goal. And one last thing I'll say about the system is that it is actually really politically or can be really politically convenient for the mayor. You know, you heard her answer uh, about the the incident at the mall. She can say and, and she's correct in saying, hey, that's out of my hands. I'm not involved in this process at all. And as we talked about, these these things can take years. And what it means is it sort of takes these high profile incidents of alleged police misconduct and it kind of like puts them in a hole for like a year or two. And then by the time there's any discipline handed out or there's any decision made, people have kind of forgotten or moved on. It's really politically convenient for city leaders. I'm not saying that it was set up that way on purpose. I will just say that it it sure works out well.
2: Well, I can see how that would be politically convenient for the mayor, but it also sounds like she's right. According to what you're saying, she doesn't really have any power when it comes to a specific incident of alleged officer misconduct.
1: It's true she doesn't have the power to influence the outcome of this one particular investigation, but that does not mean that the mayor is not incredibly powerful, the most powerful person in the city when it comes to police misconduct.
2: Okay, you're saying she both has, like, no power and all of the power at the same time?
1: Uh, I I guess so. She has no power when it comes to one individual case, but... She hires and fires all of the people in charge of the systems here. Uh, COPA, see. the police department, the police board, she appoints all, all nine members of the police board. She also sets all of their budgets. So what the mayor wants and, and who she puts in power directly influences what sort of decisions are made when there's allegations of police misconduct. I think the best thing is if, if I give you an example of the kind of power that a mayor can have. And I'm sorry, I'm going to start with another agency title and another acronym, IPRA, the Independent Police Review Authority. It was basically the same as COPA. It came before COPA. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I remember IPRA. You remember IPRA. So the the people there investigated allegations of police misconduct, and they also investigated police shootings. And for the first eight years or so of IPRA's existence, uh, the agency investigated about 400 shootings by Chicago police officers. And it only found the shooting unjustified one time. That means they're siding with officers in like 99.75% of cases. And in fact, uh, the U.S. Department of Justice, when they came in to investigate the Chicago Police Department, among a lot of other really critical findings, they they said that Chicago's police accountability system was broken, that IPRA was not holding officers accountable for bad behavior.
2: Yeah, and I think I remember reading uh, the highlights of that report when it came out a few years ago.
1: Right, and so you might wonder, like 1 in 400, how a number like that is even possible? And I think the story of Lorenzo Davis is a really good illustration of how something like that can happen.
0: The story of Lorenzo Davis, and more on police accountability in Chicago, next.
1: Lorenzo Davis was an investigator at IPRA. Before that, he served on the Chicago Police Department for over 20 years, eventually rising through the ranks to commander. He's black, which is not irrelevant when you're talking about issues of police violence and police accountability. Anyway, he worked at IPRA for a few years, and then he says things turned sour.
0: I was ordered to change findings on cases.
1: He and his team would do an investigation of a police shooting. They would come back and say the officer acted against policy here. He was not justified in firing his gun. And the people above him at IPRA would say, no, no, you got to change that.
0: Usually what they want said is that the officer had a reasonable fear for his life. And therefore the officer used deadly force against a suspect.
1: Davis says this happened six times, where his bosses ordered a shooting investigation changed from unjustified to justify. He refused to do it and he was fired.
2: Wow. Okay. Well, that sounds super dysfunctional, but what does that have to do with the mayor and the mayor's power?
1: Well, there's no evidence that the mayor, both Mayor Daley and Mayor Emanuel, these were the two people who were mayor during IPRA's time. There's no evidence that either of them came down to IPRA's offices or made a phone call and said, hey, make sure you never find against a police officer who shoots someone. Right. But the whole point of power is that you don't have to do things like that. Your your will is supposed to be done without you explicitly telling people to do it. I spoke to Gary McCarthy, who used to be police superintendent of Chicago. He was police superintendent at the time when IPER was running. Rahm Emanuel was the mayor. And here's what McCarthy says about the mayor's power and the sort of influence it can have.
0: The mayor's Ability to control a department comes from the ability to hire and fire. And many police leaders will not have the ability to, or the moxie to to fight with the mayor. It takes a lot because you're putting your your family in jeopardy. But at the end of the day, I made every decision in the Chicago police department um, during my tenure and I did it
1: with his politics in mind. And that was the agreement that we had. And that's kind of the whole point here. That's the power that the mayor has. Like I was saying, 99.75% of all cases being decided in one direction, decisions changed by the bosses. Those things don't happen by accident. It's not a coincidence. It was clearly done with the understanding that it was the desired outcome. In some way, at least it was what the mayor wanted, or at least what the people who worked at IPRA thought the mayor would want from them.
2: Wow. I find one thing I find a little bit confusing about that is why wouldn't the Mayor want there to be accountability for police misconduct when police abuse their power? you would You would think that would be good politics, right?
1: That's a really good point. I mean, I, to me, and I don't want to try to guess at what the motivations would be for for each individual mayor, But I think almost every politician is trying to avoid scandal, right? And so, a city agency coming out and saying, hey, this officer shot somebody, or this officer killed somebody for no good reason. This officer who works under this mayor, that's a scandal. If you're the mayor, it's much better for you politically if the agency finds that there's nothing to see here, that the officer did nothing wrong. And that works until you get a case like Laquan McDonald.
0: The video is said to be very disturbing. Police dash cam video showing 17-year-old Laquan McDonald being fatally shot 16 times by a white officer.
1: In late 2015, a judge orders the city to release the video of the police killing of Laquan McDonald.
0: What you are about to see is disturbing video of this uh, police officer shooting and killing this 17.
1: 17- and Chicago erupts in protest.
0: 16 shots! 16 shots! 16 shots! 16 shots!
1: Suddenly, there's a lot more attention on the fact that this agency just sides with cops no matter what. Mayor Emanuel fires the leader of IPRA. And then he even goes a step further and disbands the agency altogether, replacing it with COPA. And now this new agency, I I don't think it's perfect. There's a lot of people who still have complaints about it. But it is much more likely now to find against an officer in a shooting than IPRA ever was. And so there's this huge sea change. And that all boils down to politics and how it affects the mayor. I think the other thing to think about is who we're listening to and how much people are paying attention now. I think there were a lot of people before the release of the Kwan McDonald video who were concerned about police accountability and concerned about police shootings, but they didn't always get a a platform to speak. They weren't, their voices weren't always considered either by us in the media or by the city government. And so there is just now a lot more public scrutiny on police actions. And so it's more likely that a shooting is going to get attention, which means it's more important that you do actually a thorough investigation. Whereas before there might've been the opportunity to kind of sweep things under the rug or hope people will forget about them.
2: So when you first laid out the purpose of these accountability systems, part of it was to keep politics out of the discipline systems, out of the accountability systems. And that actually seemed like a reasonable positive goal. But based on what you just told me about IPRA, and about the politics around police misconduct changing actually seems like that's a example of a good influence of politics right
1: yeah i would say so and i think it gets to the fact that there are really kind of two competing aims for the system that are really at odds with each other. I mean, the first aim it makes sense as an employee. If you're a police officer, you are an employee of the city of Chicago. It makes sense that you want and need a consistent discipline system. You want to know what the rules are, you know, and what the punishments are if you break them. And you want that to be sheltered from public opinion and public pressure But it also makes sense as a citizen, as a resident of Chicago, to want a responsive system, to want the system to change based on what the people of the city of Chicago expect from their their leaders. I talk with Karen Sheely. She's an attorney with the ACLU of Illinois, and she says politics is not necessarily a bad thing here.
0: We're a city that has expressed a value in having some real changes in the police department. So... I don't think that that means that politics are entirely out of it.
1: And you don't think they should be?
0: No, because we want to hold people accountable politically, through the consent decree, through people marching in the streets. It's going to take more than just one venue to get the kind of reform that we need in Chicago and the change that we need in Chicago going beyond just reform.
1: So, Jesse, this all started with a question from a listener. Jason Ray Jenkins. Mm-hmm. And I paid him a visit the other day and told him everything I just told you.
2: Yeah, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> so probably what you were expecting. Yeah, I mean, it's it definitely speaks to frustratingly amorphous nature of power and accountability within law enforcement.
1: What What do you, I mean, are there ideas that you have about how you think this should work or how things should change?
2: Huh, I mean, I think a more democratic system with more decision-making in the hands of, of citizen, more, more uh, democratically elected members of boards, like the review board, etc., giving the police review board more teeth, you know.
1: And Jason's not the only one interested in changing the accountability system. There's a whole push here in Chicago for an elected board to be in charge of police discipline and police policy. The effort that's got the most support from activists and reformers is called the Civilian Police Accountability Council, another acronym it's referred to as CPAC. The supporters of it say it's important to get the power out of the hands of the mayor and give it directly to the people Mayor Lightfoot is opposed to CPAC, and because of that, it hasn't gone anywhere so far. But there are still people out in the streets demanding more direct control over the police department.
0: And two years later, these efforts are coming to fruition. This month, while voting for our next mayor and alder people, Chicago residents will also have the chance to choose members of newly created police district councils. There are 22 police districts in the city and each district will have three council members. The councils will be a liaison between the community and the local police district and have direct input into how policing is done in a given neighborhood. In addition to those duties, the new council members, who will serve four-year terms, will nominate a separate seven-member citywide commission that commission will have the final say on police department policy, they'll lead the search for a new police superintendent if that job is vacant, they can pass a resolution of no confidence in the police commissioner or members of the police board, and they'll have the power to hire the head of COPA. These new individual district councils and the new citywide commission are the culmination of a years-long fight to provide more direct community involvement into policing and police oversight. One final note. In March of 2022, the City Council voted to settle the lawsuit brought by the four women and one man who were violently dragged from their car near the Brickyard Mall by CPD officers. The settlement is for around $1.67 million. After an extensive investigation, COPA recommended that two officers be fired and that six other officers and sergeants be reprimanded or temporarily suspended. Of those recommended for firing, Patrick Dwyer's retirement was scheduled months before this incident, and he was allowed to retire. The other, David Laskus, is waiting for the outcome of a trial-like hearing before the city's police board. That hearing was scheduled for January, but has been pushed back to May. For the best stories about city politics in the upcoming election, go to wbez.org and chicago.suntimes.com. Thanks to Jesse Dukes and reporter Patrick Smith for this story. Curious City is produced by me and Joe DeSoe. Maggie Sivett is our digital and engagement producer. Adriana Cardona-Magigat is our reporter. J.P. Swenson is our fellow. And we're all edited by the gentle but firm hands of Kate Cahan and Johanna Zorn. Curious City is supported by the Conan Family Foundation. I'm Jason Mark.